Do you want a politically incorrect gateway to a real history education? Then go to mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 168. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, just want to remind you to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan, to like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan, and of course you can subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan. If you want to go out and look for all those things, just go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's Brian with an O. At the top of the page, you'll find all of my social media buttons. You can click on those. It'll take you right to my accounts. While you're there, give me an email address, and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. If you want to support The Brian McClanahan Show, you can go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going, or you can go to mcclanahanacademy.com, where you'll have four classes there. You can purchase one of those classes, and that'll also help support The Brian McClanahan Show. I've got a class on the Declaration of Independence, my newest course, one on secession, one on Alexander Hamilton, and one, the granddaddy of them all, on the war for Southern independence. So there are more classes forthcoming, and it's always free to enroll at McClanahan Academy, so you're going to want to do that because people that enroll there, whether they purchase a class or not, get all the deals on the forthcoming classes. So you definitely want to enroll in McClanahan Academy so you can get the discounts. And I will have another class coming out in September uh, at the latest October, but probably September. So be on the lookout for that. That'll be the last offering for this year, but I am planning on putting out at least three next year. So you're going to want to get those discounts. Also, you can get your Brian McClanahan Show gear at redbubble.com. Just going out to Redbubble, put in my name, Brian McClanahan. It'll come up with my logo on some great stuff, t-shirts, mugs, stationery, skins for your electronic devices, wall clocks. So you got all kinds of cool stuff. You can get that Brian McClanahan Show logo, which I think is pretty cool. But uh, uh, please go out there and check that out. Okay, all of that said, let's talk about the topic for the day. And that's something that someone asked me on social media, on Twitter. I do respond to these things. And so someone asked me, if I could do one thing, or what would I do, actually, to rein in the power of the Supreme Court? And this is a, a contemporary topic. We just had a new uh, nomination for the Supreme Court, and everyone's going bonkers on one side, or everyone's uh, celebrating on the other side. So we, we're focusing on the powers of the Supreme Court quite a lot. And of course, this is Trump's second nominee. He'll probably get this. This one will probably sail through. It really doesn't matter what uh, Brett Kavanaugh uh, is about because the Supreme Court should not be the body that it is today. And I actually posted, I said, you know, look, I, I was at a conference in Florida where someone asked me a question about Texas v. White of 1869, and they said, you know, that that particular decision has invalidated secession, which it really hasn't. In fact, um, all that Chase did is say, well, you can have secession if the other states agree to it. You just can't have unilateral secession, which is a poor reading of the Constitution. But regardless, it didn't invalidate secession. And my response was, so what? I mean, if you're, if you're talking about independence, if you're talking about a number of these issues, so what? The, the whole point of federalism is that the states have unlimited powers except in what is denied by Article 1, Section 10 
whereas the Constitution grants the general government very limited powers. And the Supreme Court has gone beyond its constituted authority over and over again in ruling or what we call legislating from the bench. And you can, the big issue right now, of course, is Roe v. Wade of 1973. And the problem with that decision is it's completely alien to the original understanding of the Constitution. This issue of abortion is certainly within the purview of the states. There's nothing in the Constitution that allows the general government to rule on that particular topic. This is up to the states. And so when idiots like Governor Cuomo of New York go out there and say, oh, if, if the Supreme Court declares uh, you know, Roe v. Wade on Constitution, we're going to sue. I mean, this is just one of the dumbest things I've ever heard anybody write. First of all, um, the Supreme Court then would have already ruled on a, a, you would take it to the Supreme Court. I mean, this is just stupid. But it wouldn't invalidate abortion in, say, New York State, if New York State wanted to have it. It would only invalidate it uh, in, the, in the states that decide to make it illegal. So this is the way it was before 1973. So if you have your uh, progressive utopia of New York, the People's Republic of California, or uh, Birkenstock Nation in Vermont, um, you can go ahead and have all this stuff that you want. But if the people of, uh, say, uh, Oklahoma or Mississippi or take your pick of another state, decide that they're going to make this illegal, Texas, they're going to do it. And so the people of those states then would have to uh, abide by that law and they would have to find another place if they wanted to uh, uh, go through that procedure. So um, it's, it's simply a question of federalism. But the question was, what would I do to, to rein in the power of the Supreme Court? Well, a lot of people don't realize this, but the Congress has complete control over the federal court system. They can do all kinds of things to rein in the power of the federal courts. In fact, this was the point, the second half of my book on Alexander Hamilton, which if you haven't bought yet, I don't know why you haven't, if you haven't purchased that book on Hamilton. Uh, the original title of this book was going to be How the Supreme Court Screwed Up America. And there was some wrangling behind the scenes, and so we had, had to write half the book on Hamilton. But half the book is on the Supreme Court. Half of the book is on Marshall and Story and Hugo Black. Because it's those three individuals that did tremendous damage to the original Constitution. Hamilton provided the blueprint, and then those three judges simply just ran with it. Now, Black, not as much uh, in following in line with Hamilton, only in that um, you're going to get incorporation through Hugo Black, which essentially reduces the states to mere corporations of the general government, which is what Hamilton wanted in 1787 anyways. So, but you got to look at Marshall and Story as real troublemakers, as thorns in the side of real originalism. And so I, I laugh every time somebody goes up and uses uh, John Marshall or Joseph Story as an quote-unquote an originalist. And for all the uh, knowledge that someone like Edwin Meese has, when he stands up and says, Joseph Story's commentaries on the Constitution are expression of original intent, I mean, I have to, it, it, it just, it forces me to laugh. Because there's nothing that's further from the truth. Joseph Story was making things up in his commentaries on the Constitution. And both Marshall and Story were doing tremendous damage to original intent while they were on the bench of the Supreme Court. So first things first, Congress could do a whole lot by simply reducing the number of judges if they wanted to. 
they could force the judges to ride the circuit again, which would make them actually work for their money. I mean, this is something Supreme Court justices don't have to do. They don't have to ride the circuit. They don't have to go out and sit on these circuit courts. Uh, they could force uh, judges to hear every single case that's brought before the Supreme Court, which they're allowed to pick and choose now. But they could force them, if you really want them to, to earn their money, hear every single case that's brought before the Supreme Court. And then I think you would hear Supreme Court justices start squawking to Congress saying, you know what, you need to do something uh, to make it to where all these minor decisions don't make it out of state courts. Well, there's a way to do that, and I'm going to talk about it. Uh, so they could do that. They could abolish every single level of federal courts except for the Supreme Court. They could just say, we don't have appellate courts, we don't have district courts, we don't have any of this stuff. It's all gone. We don't have circuit courts, we don't have any of these things. Circuit or district courts, they're gone. The Ninth Circuit of... Uh, ninth, ninth Federal Circuit could just disappear. I mean, I was I was so impressed when um, Newt Gingrich, who <laughs> has got all kinds of problems, actually said this. And uh, Gingrich, you know, flip-flops all the time. You don't know whether he's going to be um, saying the right things or the wrong things. But uh, he's got this, of course, unfortunate fascination with Abraham Lincoln and the neoconservatives and uh, this type of thing. But uh, when there was all this uh, talk about uh, terrible Ninth Circuit court decisions when they were looking at Trump's travel ban, uh, he actually said, well, maybe, maybe they need to abolish the, the, the Ninth Circuit court. Yeah, they could do that. They could abolish every circuit court. They could abolish every district court. They could get rid of these things. And then all you have is the Supreme Court. And they can't abolish that. But they could also restrict its jurisdiction. And they've done this at times. This is not unprecedented. During the Reconstruction, for political reasons, the Republicans restricted the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court, even though it was at that point led by a Republican, Salmon P. Chase, was not falling in line with what the Republican-controlled Congress wanted it to do. So it just removed its jurisdiction over certain decisions. It also reduced the number of Supreme Court judges while Andrew Johnson was president, so he didn't have appointment power. You see, the Congress, if, look, if, if uh, the, there's this uh, dream going around the progressives right now that, of course, Trump is going to lose in 2020, which I don't see happening. Um, I, the, the, the Democrats right now are, are delusional. They, they really believe there's going to be this great blue wave and that somehow, and they're, and they're hitching their, their wagon to this idea of uh, you know, abolishing ICE as uh, as somehow that all Americans are going to rally behind, I, I don't I don't see it. I mean, we can talk about whether immigration policy should be coming from the top down or from the states. I mean, these are these are interesting legal questions. But most Americans believe that immigration should be restricted. And so, when you hit your wagon to say abolishing ICE and unlimited immigration, I mean, you're you're setting yourself up for a political disaster. At least now. Now, if you get all these people in the country, then. That's another, uh, that's another story further down the line. But um, the fact is, this is not a winning issue for them, and they think they're going to win. And when, when they think they're going to get the president, and they also think they're going to take the Congress, they're going to get you know, 100 seats in the, in the House somehow. That's going to happen, which I don't think it's going to happen either. Um, but they think that they're going to pack the court. They're going back to Franklin Roosevelt. We're going we're gonna to add a huge number of Supreme Court justices to mitigate all the Trump appointees. 
We're going we're gonna to go back to what FDR was doing. We're going to pack the court. You see, what they don't realize is that uh, yeah, they could do that. But then when the Republicans take back the court, they could just say, we're abolishing all those positions. I mean, that could happen too. Um, and so then those, those judges are gone. Um, or you know, they could come up with some way to defeat that proposal. But this is, this is what the progressives are trying to say now. They're trying to expand the power of the court because what they believe the court should do is legislate from the bench. This is what they believe the Supreme Court was put there to do. So you have all of this stuff. I mean, the Congress could really rein in the powers of the Supreme Court. They're not going to do it. And I don't think that even Democrats would be so stupid as to pack the court because they don't always control the Congress. So what could you do? I mean, if, if you want to look at something that the Congress could do, something that uh, if, you're a, if you're a libertarian or a conservative, someone that's really concerned about the Supreme Court legislating from the bench, what could Congress do to create a, a climate that the court would not have so much power? Well, my response was they could get rid of Section 25 of the 1789 Judiciary Act. And people at that point, what the heck is that? Well, that's a, that's a good question. It's one of those pieces of legislation that has done irreparable damage to original intent. And unfortunately, it was passed in the first Congress. And uh, when people ask me, you know, what, where did the Constitution go wrong? Well, 1789. And it went wrong in 1789 when the Congress, the first Congress, passed the, the 1789 Judiciary Act with Section 25 in it. And so I go through this, and again, my book, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, but I'm going to give you some insight as to what happened here and why this is such a bad piece of legislation concerning original intent. So what this particular part of the Judiciary Act did was allow for state decisions. So you, you, you sue in state court. It goes to the Supreme Court of that particular state. You don't like that decision. So then you sue in federal court, appealing that decision of a state court. It allowed for you to appeal decisions of state courts to federal courts. And essentially what's happened with it is that now you don't even have to go through a state court. If you believe that your quote-unquote federal rights have been abused, you just go right to your federal court. And I'll give you an example. We all know that uh, these traffic light cameras are problematic legally. I mean, look, you get what you get a ticket and they can't prove it to you, particularly if it's from, you know, behind if if you're just taking a, an image of your license plate and you, you know, make a right turn on red that and you didn't come to a complete stop. So you get a ticket in the mail and uh, you know, they say you're going to have to pay this thing. It's, you know, fine. Well, <laughs> or or if you didn't do it, then write down who was driving your vehicle so we can give them a ticket for doing it. So you have to either self-incriminate or you have to uh, rat somebody else out. And this is so problematic legally that these things should be just declared you know, illegal across the board, right? Because they can't prove it's you driving the car. Uh, you, you're not ob obligated to uh, rat somebody else out and say it was, oh, that was my neighbor driving the car. That was Joe Smith driving my car. And so send him the ticket. I mean, this it's up. The burden of proof is on the state or the city to prove who was driving the vehicle, and they can't do it. So we know it's completely illegal to do these things. Right? That's, that's without question. These things are completely illegal. 
The problem is that some people think they need to go out and uh, go to federal court. So you get a ticket in your local you know, city, you're in uh, small town USA, and small town USA puts up a, a traffic light camera, and you get that ticket in the mail, and you're piping hot and mad. Well, I'm not paying this stupid thing. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out and sue in federal court. This is a violation of my constitutional rights. Whereas really what you should be doing is going in through your state courts to go get this thing removed. Now, uh, we can talk about how this could be problematic because you know the states have a lot greater leeway, but there are state Bill of Rights. <laughs> and there is a legal process in the states that the states have to follow. So you, we think we're going to get petty tyranny by going through your first-year city courts and then, uh, and then your state courts, and of course, you know, you can you can request a trial by jury. I mean, you can sit down and say this thing is completely illegal. You'd have to have the time to go through it, and this is why the states do it and the cities do it because they know most people are just going to pay the fine because they don't want to go through all the hassle of taking these things to court. But there was one knucklehead uh, in the area where I live who decided he was going to try to sue in federal court over this, and thankfully, the federal judge said, you know what, we have no jurisdiction in this case. This is, this is a state issue, city issue. So they followed the proper role of a federal court there. But the problem is not all federal judges will do this. They think, oh, you know what, this is a really interesting issue. I think that this should be a federal issue. We should go out and, and make sure a small town USA doesn't put up traffic light cams. Because that's a violation of the Fourth Amendment. But in reality, the federal government didn't put those traffic light cams up there. The states did, or the city did. And so, I mean, if this was you know, the federal government putting the traffic light cam there, then you could say this is a federal case. But the federal government didn't put them there. The general government is the more accurate term. They didn't put them there. So this is the state or the city doing these things. So this is, this is not a, a federal issue. But some federal judge would say, oh, well, I'm going to take this up. And how can they do that? Section 25 of the 1789 Judiciary Act. And, of course, then you also have Hugo Black and his stupid idea of incorporation, where the Bill of Rights is somehow applied to the states. That was never supposed to happen. It's never supposed to happen. It was even... And I've already done a, a, an episode on this, on, on the fallacy of incorporation. And, again, you can take my course on Hamilton or read my book uh, on this, and I go through all this in detail. But it was never supposed to happen. Madison's incorporation amendment, which was proposed when he actually presented the Bill of Rights, was rejected outright. Now, we're not going to do that because the states already had prohibitions on uh, the states uh, abridging speech or religion, whatever the case may be. First, He was looking at it from a First Amendment perspective. So the states weren't really interested in that. And, of course, they also were worried about states like uh, Massachusetts which had a state-established church at the time, was worried about that applying to the state of Massachusetts, and so they weren't going to do it. So you've got this 1789 Judiciary Act, and during the uh, Marshall Court, there are actually a couple of cases that uh, dealt with this particular issue because Virginia, the state of Virginia, was feverishly trying to get this part of the Judiciary Act overturned. And basically what they did just say, we're not following it in the state of Virginia. We're not going to do it. Now, my favorite case in this 
is one that doesn't get a whole lot of attention, but it's one that people should know about. It's not one of these decisions. It's not McCulloch v. Maryland. It's not Marbury v. Madison. And I, oh, what I would do is I would get rid of Marbury v. Madison. I would, uh, I would get that decision overturned. Uh, I mean, that's a bad one for, for reasons that people don't really understand. But uh, it wasn't the first time the court actually looked at the constitutionality of, of a law. They had done it when Hamilton actually argued before the court in Hilton v. United States about a, about a tax. They had upheld a federal tax. So it was, this was not the first time that the court was getting involved in this constitutionality. And, of course, you can look at the idea of federal law. I mean, you could make a case that if, if we're talking about federal law, that maybe the Supreme Court should be involved, but, but really not state law. In fact, uh, when you look at uh, how the, con when, in the ratification conventions, there was some discussion about the, the Supreme Court being involved in invalidating unconstitutional federal law. Generally, from the states that already had this in their state courts, you found that they were supportive of it. In the states that didn't have it, they were against it. Um, but there was at least a discussion. But the one thing that was never up for discussion was the Supreme Court invalidating a state law. That was never up for discussion. In fact, John Marshall himself said this wouldn't happen. But yet, when he becomes Supreme Court Chief Justice, it happens. So this case that I like to talk about, which is not a landmark decision, is not uh, Gibbons v. Ogden or one of these in the Marshall Court that people put, run back to and say, there it is, you know, Barron v. Baltimore, there's an important case. It's Cohen's v. Virginia of 1821. This is a really interesting case. And I'm not going to steal my thunder in the book. And I'm not going to steal my thunder in the course because I want you to either to take, I want you to both take the course and read the book. So I'm going to briefly go over what this thing did. But the important part of this particular law is what had happened in Virginia. Virginia said, you know what we're going to do? You know how we're going to thwart Section 25? We're going to make it to where you cannot appeal certain decisions from lower courts in Virginia to the state Supreme Court. The Court of Appeals is what they called it. So you're busted for something in a lower in, in, in Virginia. You go to a lower court, and they rule against you, and then that's it. You can't appeal it anywhere else in the state of Virginia. That's it. These were for minor infractions. You can't appeal it up to the Supreme Court. Nope, can't do it. Because what they're trying to do is say, you know what? If you can't appeal it to the Court of Appeals, well, then you can't appeal it to the federal uh, bench either. So what happened here was that that particular circumstance happened. A couple of brothers were busted for doing something they should have been doing in Virginia, and they knew that they were violating the law. I mean, that's, that's the issue. They were breaking the law. They knew it. And so their attorneys decide, you know what? We can't appeal this to the Virginia Court of Appeals, so what we're going to do is we're just going to go right to the federal courts. We're going to skip over the whole process that Section 25 actually outlined. You have, you have to go through the Court of Appeals or the state Supreme Court system, and then you can go to the federal court. We're just going to skip that, and we're going right to federal courts. This was an, an unmitigated disaster because this is what people do all the time now. My constitutional rights have been violated. All the issues we have that have to do with your quote-unquote constitutional rights whether it's the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the First Amendment, the Eighth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment. Nobody ever talks about the Third Amendment. You thirders, you thirders need to, need to get in line here. That's one. <laughs> the Third Amendment. I think I'm going to make a, you know, a, um, 
a movement that we need to uphold the Third Amendment to the Constitution. Make sure we go out there and ensure that Third Amendment is followed to the letter. Of course, you know, if, if you've ever read the Third Amendment, um, it's, it's uh, no quartering of troops in, uh, in peacetime without consent of the owner. But I'm going to make that a pl- I'm going to make that one of my campaign platforms. You know, we're going to we're going to uphold the Third Amendment <laughs> and see how uh, how how much fun that would be. Um, to make a mockery of things, you know, I'm going to make sure that the Third Amendment, by golly, the Third Amendment has got to be upheld. We've we've got too many too much abuse of the Third Amendment running around out there. Um, I don't know. I mean, we could maybe you could make a case that uh, you can't pay, uh, you can't allow soldiers to live an off base housing or something. That's a violation of the Third Amendment. Who knows? You go into uh, some kind of convoluted legal argument there. But uh, you know, getting back to, to this issue, people think their constitutional rights have been violated. So what they what they do, their quote unquote constitutional rights, what they do is just go right to the right to the federal courts. I admire Mike Meharry in Kentucky for going and, and just attacking a fourth what we consider to be a Fourth Amendment issue. But what they're he's going through the state courts because he's looking at this from a state position. He's not concerned about the Fourth Amendment. You know, you've got these state. Uh, you got these uh, traffic cameras or surveillance cameras set up in Kentucky, and he's 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 actually won um, against the city uh, in his in his town and hometown of Kentucky there, uh, and uh, he he's done the proper procedures here and going through going through the local courts first. It's great, it's great. This is what he should be doing. But a lot of people just said, you know what? I'm just going to go right to federal court. Forget these these hillbillies here in Kentucky. I'm going right to federal court because those people know. And this is a Fourth Amendment issue. We're going to make this thing a national issue, and I'm going to run. I'm going to run on. I'm going to run for Congress on this issue. You know, got to get rid of these uh, surveillance things here in my state, and uh, make sure that every state in the country follows suit. This is the problem with America. This is why people are so angry. I mean, it's it's think locally, act locally. This, this what what's happening with Coensby, Virginia? Is they're they're violating the whole idea of think locally, act locally. The state of Virginia said, "You know what? We're gonna we're gonna make sure that we follow an original intent by blocking this stupid part of the Judiciary Act, which is completely un- alien to original intent. We're gonna make sure we knock that down. But yet, then you have a bunch of lawyers get together and say, you know what? We're gonna do. We're just gonna go right to the federal courts. And of course, lo and behold, who would have thought this would have happened? John Marshall sides with the attorneys for the Cohen brothers. Now he." In, in knocking down the state of Virginia's attempt to basically get rid of Section 25. He actually finds that the Cohen brothers were guilty of what they did. I mean, that, that was known. But Marshall is going to travel outside of that decision and say, you know what, state of Virginia, you can't do this. You can't knock down federal power here. We have the power. We are supreme. And, of course, there was the Hunter's... Uh, there was a decision in 1816 that followed the same uh, same uh, parameters. It was Martin versus Hunter's Lee C, which Joseph Story actually uh, issued the majority opinion there. Marshall recused himself from that particular case. It's interesting how he, recu- how he recused himself from that case, but not from Marbury v. Madison, where he was directly involved. I mean, that's this is John Marshall being John Marshall. Uh, Marshall is one of the great villains in American history. 
uh, right in line with Hamilton. I mean, there's, there's no question that these two guys were doing all kinds of things to undermine real federalism, which is an, a beautiful American thing. Americans, Americans have uh, perfected, at least in that founding period, they, they, they put into practice this whole principle of federalism. Long, I mean, that's one of the beautiful things that American constitutionalism created, was this idea of federalism. And uh, unfortunately, we've lost that because we've drifted very rapidly into nationalism. Nobody should care about the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court's power should be so limited, its jurisdiction should be so limited, that it's really irrelevant who's on the bench. But of course, it's people like John Marshall and Joseph Story who made it problematic. And then now everything has to be a, a national conversation. And you have idiots like Cuomo running around not understanding what the heck goes on. You've got uh, people that on the left and the right looking at this as a national issue when in reality all it is, is a state issue. It always has been. When you talk about Roe v. Wade or gun rights, quote-unquote gun rights, all this, these are all state issues. Because the federal government, unless it passes a law saying that abortion is illegal, or unless the uh, federal government passes an assault weapons ban, or whatever the case, though, now that becomes a federal issue, but they're not doing that. This would be left up to the states, as it has been. This is why a California decision to restrict firearm purchases, they can do that all day long, as long as it doesn't violate the California Constitution. I, I may not agree with that decision, but they can do it. So everything is not national. Unfortunately, the Judiciary Act of 1789 and Section 25 of that made everything national. And over time, that has been the great distortion of original intent. So if you want to if you want to rein in the Supreme Court, you got to make it to where people can't appeal uh, that every little minor infraction they think has violated their constitutional rights to the federal courts. And then you might see some real change. You might actually see the judges uh, get out of the way. But there's other things you can do. I mean, the Congress has complete control over this. And so that's the dirty little secret in Washington. When Congress says they can't do this, the president's doing that, the Supreme Court's doing that, they have all the power. I mean, Calhoun pointed this out over and over again. You know, the Congress really is a problem. The president is problematic, but the Congress allows it to happen. And so the Congress could do a lot to change things, and they just won't do it. I don't care whether you're talking about Republican or Democrat. They're all in favor of extreme federal power. And nothing's going to change that unless as unless the states use their authority to check the power. You have to have one government to check the power of another. And that's the only thing that's going to stop this. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. <laughs>